Welcome back to Big Mama Hex podcast. Today we're sitting down with Crystal Rose, and I'm so excited. He's a he's a friend and um, a, a musician, along with Doug. They they're in the Broken Spokes together, and uh, he has a whole litany of things that he's really wonderful at. He's a very creative human, and um, we're going to get into all the amazing things that he has to offer, and the the journey that he's on, and the places he's been, and where he's going. Let's get to it. Cool. Thank you. I'm welcome. Glad. Thank you. Welcome. <laughs> I'm excited. Let's let's do it. Let's get right into it. You got it. Um. So, Chris, tell us about. Um. Try not to ask the same exact questions as Doug, but tell us a little bit about where you grew up. Um, I grew up in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. Yeah. That's right in the center of the state, um, not far from Williamsport and State College. So. Uh, a bit of a, a smaller town, but with a whole lot of of forests really, really close by. So I grew up in that kind of world, a more old old world with the you know some older folks that did things old fashioned ways. You know, like I grew up heating with wood instead of you know just turning a dial on the wall like most people. So yeah, yeah. It's really cool. So um, I've been reading a lot about place and 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 the, living an enchanted life, like being one with the with the um, with the with the land and uh, nature and things like that. And it just uh, I've been I keep coming back around thinking about you, um, especially when I got more into listening to the podcast and the interview with you and Doug about when you brought up um, the two ladies. I don't remember if they were mother and daughter or sisters, but they mentioned how songs come they come to you and when you're ready to receive them, that really um, resonated with me very deeply. I feel that way about art, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that I was love. that uh, Joanne Shenandoah and her daughter yes. Leah Shenandoah said about, yes. they how did they say it? They said it was like, I don't write the songs, I wait till they come to me. Like they're already written and they kind of get them sent from the world. But uh, yeah, for sure. And is that how you feel even with songs that are older songs, like they come to you in that way? I think so. Yeah. Like, uh, certainly with, with original music. Um, I think that's just what, what inspiration feels like, like yeah. true, true inspiration for me at least feels like, like it's like, I didn't have control over it. Like it just kind of all of a sudden it's there. And I do my best to represent it in my in the real world as it comes through in my head. Yeah, um, it's funny because oh, go ahead. That was about it. Uh, I was saying to Doug last night, like um, it kind of feels like if you've ever had I don't know your like religious background, but I mean if you've ever had like a real um, connectedness to like land or to a place or like in church, like if you feel like the Holy Spirit or you feel like an ancestor come to you in that way it feels like that. It's like almost like an explosion inside of you that has to get out. It's really, it's really kind of a wild feeling, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's something that kind of crosses over into the, like, you know, all religious and, yes. and spiritual face. You know, I grew up with my dad's side, which was the Mohawk side and they had a, a very different way of looking at the world than, you know, Christians. And my yeah. mom was also very spiritual, but different from my dad. So that is kind of like the, the connectedness you're talking about. Yeah. Sure. So was your dad, um, and, and Chris's dad has, has passed 
sort of recently i think it's been about a year is it right it's actually been longer it feels it feels oh, okay. like last week but it's actually been yeah. years or so almost almost three years yeah yeah time escapes me chris i apologize but oh, um, and, and you know this year <sighs> everything seemed really this year it's just like a, a black hole of time suck um but yeah john larose was also um a musician as well and you guys had played a lot together and was he the person who kind of taught you how to mm -hmm. play yeah, yeah kid, cool. he always had uh he had band practices and he played um a lot of the old folk music during the folk boom um in the 1970s mm -hmm. uh, played a lot in the 80s and through the 90s so when i was a kid i was always growing up around these old songs like 200 year old songs 300 year old songs and really stellar musicians um so that 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 planted the seed for me and it wasn't until sure. that I started started wanting to learn how to play guitar um but yeah he was the one that showed me how to how to make my first chords and how to how to play the banjo and all that stuff and really what he focused most on was the um the performance stuff um and the story yeah? the storytelling oh nice what made made the difference between like just just growing up around music and then performing a story that just happens to have music with it you know wow yeah and that's a that's a very um, important difference you know and yeah i'm um, just for our audience as well um doug maidenford actually just interviewed you recently for doug's front porch you should all listen to that too because i'm going to kind of like avoid those same questions because Together, we're going to get like this whole experience of Chris. And, uh, but yeah, there's some really interesting stuff about hanging out with the older folks, like his friends, which is something that I did too. I loved being with my mom's friends. So I think, you know, when you're immersed in like creative spirits like that, you're like, I mean, in a way, I don't know if you're familiar with the Suzuki method, but it's the way you're like uh, learning through hearing music. Um, and, and I think I'm sure, surely that influenced you in not only your interests, but as well as kind of picking it up you must have had that vocabulary almost like listening to a language for that long you know I so like around it all the time yeah yeah I, I feel like a lot of people nowadays kind of explain it mechanically you know mm -hmm. having heard it so much that you recognize patterns and then you can mimic them but I really think it's something different like yeah it the certain tones and the way things were played and you know cadences and timings mm -hmm. you feel something in it that i have trouble explaining even though i've been doing this for my whole life yeah i know somebody can play the one thing on violin and it'll sound really good and you're impressed and then the other person will play it exactly the same but it's got some kind of magic in it and yes. then in that magic like or, or whatever some vibration i don't know what what you'd call it but it it conveys an energy like it conveys in a yes. and it brings your mind somewhere it you know for i think when a lot of creative people hear this stuff that is obviously like somehow enchanted compared to yes. their technical brilliance like yes they start feeling stories or seeing stories and then they can imagine these whole worlds and then that's what they use or at least I use to turn into my own art, you know, the, the yeah, image yeah. I get from other people's art or the interpretations I get from it. That's so cool because Hunter and I talk about this like at nauseum because we're both very creative people. Um, he's like more tech technically minded, but definitely there's like, 
a force in him that's like a spiritual practice and um like a ritual so that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about like the ritual of it but to your point um I think we always talk about how like how we differ from other Huxley painters is there's like this esoteric element to it or like a practice or a ritual that goes into the painting and even if the person that's that's buying the work doesn't believe it they're still going to be impacted by it and just like you're saying if you're approaching the song or the music or the set or music in general in that kind of spirit it's going to come through to the audience whether or not they realize it but it's still going to impact them and it's going to be more meaningful for example and I and I told Doug you guys know I'm obsessed with this CD you know and I know you guys have you have a lot of other music but this one particularly I don't know it's, it's magical to me. And particularly, I love the song Susquehanna Water so much. I feel like when I hear it, I can actually see, see the Susquehanna and like hear and feel the whole story. And in fact, like all of the music, it has that um, emotional um, pull to it that makes you feel like, and when you were talking about music, it made me think it's almost like visiting with a person. So the song is like this person that you revisit and revisit and you get familiar and you become, you have this relationship with this person and, and a nostalgia for the person. So it must feel like that when you're singing about things that are so close to your heart, you know, mm. like the Susquehanna is, is a powerful, um, a powerful body of water for us Pennsylvanians and, you know, water's a thing for me, but um. Can you tell me more about that song? Did you write that song? I, I don't really know. I don't have the show notes, or the, not the show notes, but I don't have the notes. That one was one that Doug and I did together. You did and, it together, okay. Yeah, like, typically I, had, I hadn't really um, co-authored any songs with people before, but, you know, mm -hmm. Doug and I had, had known each other for a long time and kind yeah. of anticipate each other's, uh, each other's movements and, like, musically and, and uh, have the same same mind for a lot of stuff. So That's we so clicked cool. pretty well when it came to doing music. And uh, I th don't remember how the idea came about. I think somebody had suggested a song about the Susquehanna River. And then uh, Doug wrote a poem, um, or, or I think he started working on lyrics. And it was like all the history you would need to know to do this thing. Mm -hmm. he's like hey can you can you work on this and and make it more musical and um put a melody to it and I'm like yeah so I went in there and I took a lot of his lyrics and um like some of the verses I would take out and then write my own mm -hmm. verse put in or or another one of the verses I would take what he had and try to use words strategically that convey more of an image Mm, yeah because I think I can't quite remember it was so long ago but I think uh, I think one of the things I said to Doug was like you sound like a teacher you know like you sound like you're giving yeah. teacher facts here about the Susquehanna goes through this town and this town and this town and I had remembered what my dad was saying about how to make that stuff personal and think about mm -hmm. what what um what it actually means to you because if you're singing about where the river goes you know that does something but if you sing yeah. about being the fishing banks of your grandfather, which mm -hmm, was true, mm -hmm. that was my grandfather and his fishing banks and and um, and all that stuff, because then it it humanizes it, and yes. I think that's what people need. And I think that's probably what people like about it, because it's all true. Um, yeah, people can spot BS really fast, and so mm -hmm. there's just no point in trying to 
trying to do it to look cool for 10 minutes. Like you gotta just be real. And um, I think Doug and I were entirely real about that because um, we talked about why it's important. Um, and then we added our personal stuff, you know, like the, the Iroquois up North yeah. and all that stuff. So that was a, that was a pretty solid split between he and I, he, he kind of, um, did, did a lot of the bones and then I took some verses out and put my own verses in and added a melody yeah. and, and then we bounced it back and forth and, and made it, made it better than I think either one of us alone could have. Yeah, that's so cool. That's kind of how um we wrote the books too. That's so funny. <laughs> was like, yeah. He he gets it knocked out real fast, and I was like, "What?" Like he was like, "Hey, we should work on this book." Five minutes later, I have like a script. I was like, "Doug, you're like amazing." He's, oh yeah, he's he, a he gets he's a get her done kind of guy. Oh yeah, that's, <laughs> that's I mean? touchy for sure. It's we don't have. Oh time my gosh, so touchy. I can't keep up with him half the time because he's got a million different projects and he gets them all finished. He does. And uh, it's wild. I got to focus one at a time for about six or eight weeks. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm somewhere in between the two of you. I, I start the projects, but then they're all like just hovering above my head and I'm sitting here like, Oh shit. And then I get nothing done yeah. because I'm like so st overstimulated with it. But yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, the whole album's super cool. I like the, the songs that you guys chose and also for sure the stuff in Deitch is really amazing. But, um, he was saying in the interview you guys had that he's always so impressed by your memorization of the music. And that's why I guess when I, when I listened to the interview, I thought right away of Suzuki because I thought um, I had my kids in Suzuki method, like for violin. And I really loved that idea of learning through like auditory learning where you're hearing the music and then you just get so like well-versed in, it's almost like, the, like I said, learning the language. So I'm wondering if that sort of is, an experience you had without even really kind of realizing it because you heard these notes and, and and the music being played so much firsthand. Do you know what I mean? That it became like a language in your house kind of. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, there were certain, certain sounds that stuck with me, you know, like uh, different note patterns or a tone of a certain banjo or something that like right. every now and then you'll be listening to something and then there'll be a string of notes that just move you, you know, yeah, yeah. Really grab your attention no matter what you're doing. And so I usually don't play stuff that doesn't do that to me. Like if, yes. if, if I am listening to music, like I'm kind of hardcore when I listen to stuff, like it's got to really naturally, you know, get me there or else yeah. I don't really have any interest in doing it, you know, because yeah. it almost feels like lying, you know, I'd rather, I do. I'd rather have something that, you know, is really impressive, naturally moved me. And then how I remember this stuff and remember the lyrics is I remember the feeling that I had the first time I heard that new note combination or that lyrical phrase that it just brought up um, an emotion and maybe mm -hmm. maybe like a, an imagination in, an image or something. So yes, yeah. I, I, I recall that feeling. Yeah. And that's how the, the lyrics seem to stay there. I can hear a song one time that really moved me and they're there because I'm not trying to remember what word happened after what word I'm remembering. Oh, it felt like this. And here's the picture I had. Oh, and yeah. it's these five words, you know, and I find a yeah. really hard time remembering lyrics. If, if they don't feel uh, genuine 
or mm-hmm. if it's if it's if it's not a story, a lot of times I need the story yeah. to remember that stuff. So you're it's definitely like, not into pop music. <laughs> uh, some of it. I mean, I I don't love really listen to a lot of me. What's that? I love it once in a while, you know. Yeah. Well, I don't really listen to a lot of new music. Um, uh, but there are certain things that are really, really catchy that are, you yeah. know, you know, that are worth paying attention to. Um, and uh, my lady friend was saying she thinks she noticed a, a trend just recently with music that uh, people seem to be singing about more real stuff. I was going to ask you, I was wondering if she was going to say the same thing I was going to ask you, because did you hear of, I haven't listened to it, but Taylor Swift's new album is called Folklore. And I was like, what? And it's I, got like this really, really incredible, like um, artwork and photography. And I just, I haven't been able to bring myself to it, but I'm, yeah. I'm just, my interest is peaked. Like, <laughs> what's this all about? I'll have to go take a look at that stuff. Cause you know, for a lot of long time, I wasn't terribly interested in, in the new stuff. Yeah, me neither. I found it to be like re remakes of, old stuff that was done with the first time yeah and And plus yeah and the industry's changed so much it's like records have such a different feel and sound and and like even the crackle of a record is going to make you feel differently than how how things are just even delivered to you now you know oh yeah and and how you record them too you know back in the days you'd have the whole band in one room with three microphones and you'd all be playing it together and so you get the you know five musicians five working pieces that make something that is just incredible. And there's something, yeah. like I said, there's something extra in there. That's more than just those five musicians doing their part, because then you can have one musician out of that band at a time record their, their piece flawlessly. And then you overlay all that stuff together now. And it just feels dead, you know, like something yeah. flat mm-hmm. um, as compared to when you do stuff live in the moment with right. Me you know well it's kind of like seeing a band live or seeing them performing on zoom all in different houses it's kind of like that you know because they're like all doing their different thing at different times you know Mm -hmm. yeah it's really interesting you know I just thought of this and this wasn't something I thought of asking you about but have you are you familiar see I'm like I think Doug and I figured we're nine years older than you but um I don't know if you caught onto the white stripes at all I was caught onto them like before like um that stupid song that got really popular but like in, in the early 2000s, we would see them and they'd be like playing little dive bars and stuff. But I got really into like Jack White's more um, like what you're talking about, about it being like a performance and being like really obsessed with making sure uh, that he was like telling a story and being authentic. And and I got really into his, um, th- not his, but they did um, a really cool podcast about it and uh, talked about kind of how he got into it through um, upholstery. And he was an upholsterer and he was like obsessed with like the, the, the process and the, and, and the ritual of like doing upholstery. And he would actually write poems and lyrics inside on the wood and then like cover it up. And it was like a secret for the person that like had the upholstery. And I just thought of you when, or I just thought of him when I, when you were talking about that, because it's like, if you haven't like sort of, I mean, surfacely they have like their fame or whatever. And it was super kind of annoying, but him as a person and a musician, he's kind of very interesting in that way. And it kind of reminds me of you because it's just like, he keeps pushing himself to, to just like, like just being a great musician isn't enough. You have to make sure you're being authentic, which I think is really um, uh, noble and, and um, honorable of you. And also he's like that too. So if you haven't 
heard any of his stuff, like uh, the interviews and stuff are more interesting maybe, uh, but I love his sound too. So yeah, you have I, to tell me, I, go ahead. You tell I me. I heard a, a couple of his stuff or his songs. And I remember having heard an art, uh, an interview or something with him where he was talking about largely the same, the same. Yeah. Process. Like the, the one thing that caught my attention was that uh, he was saying about how he likes old instruments that are really kind of hard to play and uncomfortable yes. to play. Yes. They, yes. they force something out of you. Yeah. And that was something that I had experienced with my old junky guitars. You know, like I have mm -hmm. one from the 30s that is an absolute bear to play. <laughs> but I yeah. go into that one, and that's the one that the songs come to me on. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think he was That's saying that like, cool. you, have to, you have to suffer for it a little bit to keep yes. it. Too. And, you know, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you have to suffer for it, but I, I do think like there is some kind of energy in instruments or just old stuff. Yes. They encapsulate something that you can feel. And I don't know if, if I sound like a, a bit of a hippie or something, but like, I really do believe that. You're in a safe space here. I'm totally with yeah. you with that. I mean, yeah. I paint on old wood that's like, you know, I'm so much like that, like him and like what you're saying, because I paint on this wood that's like impossible to paint on. It like sucks so bad. And like Hunter's like, just paint on new wood. And I'm like, no, I can't. It's just some, there's a soul to it. And I think that's what you're speaking to as well. And and you mentioned in your interview with Doug too, about um, the guitar your dad gave you, your first guitar that you played on was really hard to play on too, right? Yeah, I, I wish I yeah. still had that one, but those strings were about a mile off the fretboard and oh, it, it was really rough, but uh yeah, like some of some some instruments just kind of do it, you know. Mm -hmm. Other ones just feel flat. You can have a ten thousand dollar instrument and it just doesn't. You don't want to play it, even though it's technically perfect. Right. You have a fifty dollar uh, garage sale guitar that was you know junky, but it's got something that you needed in order to strike up the emotional stuff. Yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was like really close to being a punk rock musician for a long time, oh, yeah. <laughs> close for many years. And my dad got me and my brother, he was super into music. He's still very into music and he's a musician. He plays a bunch of stuff. He got us these Sears Roebuck, like Sears, I guess it was, oh, those old ones. I don't know. I was like 15. It was from the catalog and it had the speaker right inside it. <laughs> so it was like an electric guitar with the speaker. And it was the coolest thing ever. But then it's funny because then I was married before and my first husband was a total like punk rock musician and he was obsessed with this guitar because it sounded so crazy. Like it was just so nuts. But yeah, it's so interesting. Like you can, and I think it's like that with art when you're like a folk artist. So, I mean, like, I don't know what you like would identify as or whatever, but like a folk musician, like you find, you can use whatever materials you have and make beautiful things from them because it's not about that. It's about the soul and like having that, energy that you have in you and making that come through whatever instrument you have, you know, I think anyway. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think if you got something to say artistically, it'll come out of you no matter yes. what tools you got, but having yes. a tool really helps. And sometimes yeah, for sure. tool is not the best tool, you know, sometimes yeah. the right tool is the old rusty hammer and not the yeah. you know, something else, but. That's um, very true. Yeah. I have this real like uh I don't know what it is. I just have always been like of the earth and wanted things to feel real, like uh, gritty and like they've been around for a long time. So if I have the preference to, if I can work on old wood, I definitely prefer it for sure because it has like a, a story, you know? 
Mm-hmm. And I th- and oh, it like, pushes against me too. Like it, it gives me a hard time. I like that, you know. Yeah, it reminds you that you can't control it all. I, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot yeah. of a lot of really good art probably has an element of realizing how human you are, you know, and every, yeah. everything comes easily and goes flawlessly. It's really easy to not remember that you're kind of at the mercy to the world even yeah. though you have impact on the world, you know? Yeah, it's so. a good reminder for sure. And like we were talking about, like the certain energy something gives out of it, you know, if you have a 60-year-old guitar and all of a sudden it just feels like magic. Like, I really do think that intention has a lot to do with stuff. Yeah. And I've heard this from other artists and I talked to my mom about it who makes jewelry. And she mm-hmm. says that, uh, she said one time, if I make a pair of earrings that are really incredible, but I'm angry while I do it, for some reason, mm. don't sell. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. that's silly, whatever, Ma. And so when I started making making um, hats or, or jackets or something like that, or playing music, like I could, mm-hmm. I could uh, play a song flawlessly, but if I wasn't feeling it, then the people weren't interested. And so- For sure. It, like I was saying, people spot BS. So it's like, you got to yeah through about it. And, and I think that intention, you got to natural, actually genuinely have the intention of loving it in order mm-hmm. for it to be worth doing, you know? And I think yeah. even though there's no trace of it, like if you tried to measure the, the joy that a musician has while playing a song when they recorded it, there's nothing that's going to measure that. But mm-hmm. you can still hear it and you'd be like, yeah, this gets me. And you can tell this person mm-hmm. loves doing it. So it's really interesting that like, I don't know. I start thinking a lot about the energy that you put into things when you do it. Mm-hmm. And how people can can feel it. And uh, I'm, I'm really, the older I get, the more I'm thinking that it has some legitimacy, you know. For sure. Yeah. That was great words of wisdom from your mother, for sure. That's yeah. definitely a thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting, though, because I guess it's different with music, with artists. Like, people will always ask me, like, oh, what does this mean? And I will tell them, like, it means something to me as the artist, but then you have to decide, like, what is your aesthetic response to it? So I guess it may work the same way with music, but it's a little maybe more upfront. But certainly when you're writing songs, you have what the song means to you and then the people that are receiving it. I just, I hate this idea. And I'm sure a lot of artists feel this way where you have to like explain everything. Like that's the whole point of art and music and everything like um, in the arts is like, you shouldn't have to explain it. It should be just like a response and like how you feel when you hear it or you see it. So, I mean, I think that's really interesting, but um, I know you mentioned in your interview with Doug about it's a lot easier to do silly songs, you know, because it's not like, as challenging or I don't remember the words you use, but it feels the same way with art. It's like a lot harder to do things that are like very, very personal, but um, yeah, that, that's an interesting, I don't know. I always feel like I do my best work when I'm like really broke and I like have a lot of like, uh, um, like desperation, mm-hmm. not like a sadness or an anger, but desperation really seems to fuel my creative sparks or whatever and I get a lot of shit done but you know everybody's different but yeah <laughs> like yeah, I, not angry though angry is not good yeah I'm trying to cutting myself <laughs> like with the knife I'm like oh shit I'm like so angry I'm like for huddled you know yeah yeah I'm trying to think if uh if 
I'm more productive if I'm broke or not. You know, I do find oh. like, if you must if, be, everybody is. Right? <laughs> well, I find that if I'm if I'm uh, distressed about something, right, like a long lasting distress about something, I find mm-hmm. that I feel like I have to play music or I have yeah. to create something. Whereas mm-hmm. if I'm if you know I'm on top of the world and everything's going great, I find I probably won't play music as much. Yes, without doing stuff. So yes. I would think that like if I didn't have money, I would probably be distressed about it and then need to need to play it out of me. You know? Yeah, so. like the blues musicians too. I mean, like you could feel the pain and the the agony in their music and their voices is like incredible. I think that's what I like about Jack White too. Cause it's like, he's so influenced by the blues, mm-hmm. you yeah, know, but needing something like need yes. is a great mover of people. Like if, yes. if you're distressed about something, you're in need of something to quell that. And so yes. you naturally are compelled to move, to create something, to fill it or, or to deal with it, you know? Um, cause I find a lot of, I've, I've heard some musicians that I've listened to for years and I really, really loved their music and then they got rich and famous and then all their songs <laughs> got boring because yeah. they're not talking about anything that yeah. feels real. Like it doesn't feel like a high stakes thing anymore. Yeah, for sure. And you can tell that it doesn't have that, that natural, genuine drive in it. And, um, what was the other thing I was going to say? I have a habit of having two things to say and forgetting the one. So. so so do I. Tell me when you think of it. You can just interrupt me. It's fine. So I just wanted to also just mention, we talked a little bit about how we just kind of knew each other because of the band and Doug. But um, when I first met you, I guess in person, you know, you're a very quiet person, not like super quiet, but you know, generally like a very laid back person, but I didn't realize you you and I got to know each other a little bit more um, in depth at uh, one of the shows. What was it? The Allentown uh, Music and Arts Festival or whatever. Cause you were like hanging out waiting for your set to start and stuff. And I got to know you pretty well. And it, I found it really, really refreshing um, to have a younger person be uh, so, so committed to like living a simpler life and like anti like uh, screen obsession or like um, this super fast paced world that we live in. It was so refreshing to hear, you know, you just talk about the way you live and the things you're looking for in like a partner and like how it's really very frustrating um, the way things are now. And I, I definitely felt that way. Like when I was younger and trying to find someone um, even though we're like a 10 year difference, you know, I had kind of started around when I was a young lady and trying to find a partner. Um, this, this just mad rush. It was just so intense all the time. And I loved, you know, I grew up in a very different kind of place than you guys. Um, you and Doug, I grew up in like a suburb in the city, but I just needed quiet and I needed a calm, but I found that really refreshing. And it was funny because you talked to me that time about these things. And then another young man, sort of like your same age had come over and like was talking to me at the same time, um, the same uh, show about the same kind of stuff and it left me because I'm like a very sensitive person like feeling like really really like a weight about you know just what people your age are going through just trying to connect with others it's like it's so different than when we were growing up it's just so so vastly different and it made me really feel sad and then I sort of speaking of intentions I sort of did like one of my little fancy little like um 
intentional thoughts for you and put some good vibes out there for you, for you to find like what you were looking for. And, and when I, when I saw that you had found Emily, I, my heart was bursting through. I was just so, so happy because you're a really wonderful guy. Um, you're very kind, great, great spirit, very, a lot of fun. Um, and, and I just felt so happy for you. So I'm just so excited for you. So I want to cred- congratulate you. I know it's been quite some time, but I did want to let you know that um, I think it's so special that you have found someone that seems so like-minded and you guys are both musicians and she seems to have really like enriched your life in really wonderful ways. So can you tell us more about um, Emily and the, the work that she does and the work you do together in the band and um, how that's going and everything. And I love seeing the pictures of you guys dressed up and stuff so cool yeah well thank you um <laughs> yes she's she's really a incredible person you know she's she's um dedicated a lot of her life to being uh true and real because we talk about that a lot and the value of being real because so many people get caught up in all the addictive uh qualities of of the social media stuff and mm you know, spend their whole life watching videos that are all trying to capture your attention with like gimmicks. And, you know, it's just crazy, you know, and it's, even though it doesn't really nourish you, it's like empty calories. Yeah. These things on, on, you know, Netflix or YouTube or whatever, Mm -hmm. they'll, you know, they'll scratch the itch that you're feeling in your heart, but you know, you're not really nourished after it. And so you go back looking for more and it's just another person trying to one up stuff, you know? And like we, Em and I talk about uh, people be learning again, how to be real, like learning again, how to not be trying to make sure that they look good in a selfie and not try yes. to, to make, make everybody in the room laugh at a joke, you know, like if, if I think, like I said, people spot bullshit, you know, like, yes. and it's so stressful if you're trying to always live up to, oh, I got to hold myself this way so that I look cool, or I got to talk about this kind of thing to look cool. You're really just not doing yourself any services. And like, so I was relieved to have met M who also believes in being real and natural and mm-hmm. And just kind of trusting that, you know, you're going to, things are going to work out um, for your best interest if you are just your natural you. So I think that's really cool because it doesn't cost anybody anything. And Mm -hmm. if people can remember how to do it, then, you know, I think we'd have a better world. But uh, she and I um, play a lot of music together. We do like duo stuff. And then she's also the bass player and a singer in in the blues band that we do. Um, and I think that stuff comes across in music, you know, she and I are very, very similar. And so two real people listening to each other, making some cool stuff. And I think that's how the best stuff is made. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, she's pretty incredible. And I I think she's right with, uh, when she talks about how, if you are a real person and stay true to that stuff and make that your top priority, that people are going to gravitate toward you. Like people will see it and want to know why it feels nice, you know, why it feels better than the contrived stuff that they see everywhere else. And people are drawn to that for sure. Yeah. She's, she's very hopeful about the future. Like, you know, I I get all down on myself. I'm like, Oh my God, this world seems crazy. Like there don't Mm -hmm. seem to be too many real people left. And she's like, I think it, I think it's changing, you know, like 
I think we're on the edge of where people are going to start thinking, oh my gosh, this is what it's like to be around real people that actually care about me and actually mm -hmm. um, are feeling this joy about something that might be considered nerdy and, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think she's right, you know, and it's like, um, it's really nice to see you two and to experience other people that are so authentic in, you know, I have to say, I sound like an old person saying like, oh, all millennials are like surface and thirsty and all they care about is X, Y, and Z, but, and I hate sounding like that old person, but it's so refreshing because, you know, when, when we were that age, there were a lot of people in our generation that were like that too, but it's nice and refreshing to see people that are authentic and do care and have just a good spirit. And the thing is, you guys are like a model for change. So you'll influence other people when they see that. And there's two kinds of reactions to that. It's people that will be drawn to you and want to be near you and, and enjoy the things that you create. And then there'll be the haters. So it's just hard when you're a sensitive person to deal with the haters. Uh, but um, I think she's right. I, I feel really positive, especially, you know, being a parent during this and seeing like the shift that's going to have to occur in education, which is very broken, um, is actually really exciting and refreshing. And for a lot of people um, in my similar situation, it's kind of given us the balls to like, say like, this is not working anymore. Like we can do this on our own and we can teach our kids like in a better way and a more authentic way. Um, then, you know, the schools can, they don't know our kids. We know our kids. Mm -hmm. So that's really cool. I agree with her. I think it's going upwards, but I'm, I'm with you though. And I see you post about this a lot. I can't look at the news. It's, it's just takes me to a very dark place, but oh, it's yeah. meant to do that. It's like, it's so, it's so contrived and so fake. It's like, it's yeah. meant to make you feel terrified. You know, well, I, I, <laughs> if I watch the news for an hour or if somebody sends me some like five minute clip about what's going on in the world, I might only watch half of it, but for the yep. next three days, I got, you know, stressful thoughts rolling around in my head yep. and I find myself mm -hmm. not able to focus on the joy of creating something. Yes. So it, it kind of ruins whatever it is that I'm working on. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, for yeah, sure. I, I try to stay out of it because like, I, I can't think of the last news, news announcement that, I thought, oh boy, I'm glad I saw that. You know, <laughs> no, not like what? Like if they had, if they had a good news network that was like, hey, guess what? There are five thousand more baby seals this year than last year. Like that'd be cool. I'd be, I'd be on board for that. And you wouldn't have to sensationalize that. You know, like I right. think real, genuine stuff, you know, has its impact. And usually, I find that like the things that are said louder and faster mm -hmm. are usually not the truth. Um, for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I see that with YouTube stuff. People talk louder and faster trying to get uh, attention about something that probably isn't that important, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think you have the unique um, background too. And I don't know how Emily was raised, but um, you know, you were raised by two very creative people and definitely like free thinkers and and, and free spirits, it seems. I don't know your parents, but just like from what I've known from your stories and stuff like that, um, seems like you were already set up to have your own, your own um, confidence in your authentic self, you know? Mm, I think it certainly that kind of, <laughs> yeah, I, I think, yeah, it definitely helped a lot. Um, yeah. 
there was a lot of struggle into maintaining it. You know, it's like you can be set up, but then you can go out into the world and the world can mold you and morph you into that contractedness that I was talking about. And then spit you out. Yeah. I got spit out, Chris. Yeah. I hear you. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I I think uh, it certainly helped because, you know, every day I go out into the world and I'd start feeling like I'm losing my natural me and then I'd come back and it would, it would, I'd carry it with me like that loss of sure. my natural self or, or, or whatever you want to call it. And then my parents were there to kind of like, you know, talk me back into a normal creative, you know, young person again. Yeah. So that was really handy. So, yeah, I think, I think I probably ought to give them a lot more credit than, than I normally would because. I mean, yeah. I mean, this is like, I'm an outsider and I'm just looking at it as like a mom and thinking, Cause my whole thing that I think about and obsess about is like, how can I make sure my kids don't do what I did, <laughs> which is basically um, stems from a lack of belonging or a sense of like being anchored to something. And I feel like, you know, that's so important to have for kids because every child is part of being an adolescent is going to go through a struggle with like who they are. But um, if they have that anchor of like a strong parental guide, and, and just somebody that can just be strong for them, you know, when they have those moments of being, um, oh, the world's rough and, and, you know, being a sensitive person, which I am, and, and I'm now raising sensitive kids, I'm worried for them. It's really hard, but I just, I looked at like, when I was like, when I was researching to have questions for you, I was looking at, at what a great human you are, an adult man. And, and what do I think? influenced that and and made you such an authentic person and what what can I do to like create that as much of a safety net as I possibly can for my kids so I'm always looking at it in that way you know but yeah so I think it do I think it it does have to do with um a sense of like belonging yeah um and I think that's what's the matter with this world nowadays is because it seems like people everywhere are having issues with identity and not, not really their own personal identity. It's, Mm -hmm. I see a lot of people who seem to be missing something else. Mm -hmm. And I think it has to do with not just like close knit familial um, belongingness, like just the family. I think it has to do with actual community, you know, for sure. And I grew up um, with my dad's side of the family that was, very close and spread out all over town. And you'd always be going from one house to another house to another house. (laughs) Yeah. And all of their friends would be there. So everybody knew each other. And that was really important because even when you didn't know who, like as a young person, even when you didn't know what your own identity was, you still knew that you had a people. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And today people don't have that, you know, they don't, they don't, they're not even lucky most times to even have a family. I know. And let alone 50 people in their life that have been there since they were born and will probably be there when they die, you know? And I I think that's what was, what was one of the great wisdoms that these older cultures were trying to preserve. You know, my dad uh, had Mohawk ancestry. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of the things that we experienced when we went up to the reservation was this really tight community 
of, mm -hmm. of people who might not have been related directly to each other, but they were the same people and mm -hmm. they took care of each other that way. So I think that's what, what people nowadays are needing is a greater yes. identity that's not themselves. I think people are focusing way too much on their own personal identity and saying it louder and louder and louder so that yes. their personal identity is recognized. But that I feel like that's, that might not be what they need. They might need a bigger one, mm -hmm. a unity, you know? Yeah. And with unity and community comes compassion. You must have compassion for others and care about others. And I think the one um, black hole that this has sucked me into is feeling really desperately saddened by um, the lack of compassion people seem to have for like the elderly, for example, during this horrible situation. Like, you know, I keep hearing, oh, but it's only like old people that already have these underlying conditions that are at risk. And it's just, it's just so sad. There's the lack of compassion, I think, and empathy. And, and, you know, I really do hate to say it, but as an educator, I can say it because like I'm talking about the fail. Uh, I think it needs to happen in schools because they're not getting it at home, baby. They're mm -hmm. not getting the empathy and compassion lessons. And you know what, Chris, when we went back to school after um, the summer, I thought we'd be met with um, a different curriculum. Like I superly, stupidly rose-colored glasses it and thought, oh man, these elementary school teachers are going to be talking about social emotional learning and how we're going to get through this like traumatic experience. These kids are going through a traumatic experience. Okay. Not a damn word. It's just like curriculum is back. We're back on like the track. Like we're going to pound it through. And it, it's just damn, it's so sad, you know? So mm -hmm. I don't know. That's, that's troubling. But I think, you know, the, the good thing about social media is a lot of people do share really incredible things of lessons like that, teaching empathy and compassion. And maybe it'll just catch on in that way. However it needs to catch on, it needs to catch on. But yeah, I, it's, I, it's sad. I think people are a lot more inclined to get along than they look like they are at the moment. Truth. And yeah. I try to remind myself to only half listen to what people are saying these days because yeah. just like people in an argument will say mm -hmm. stupid stuff that they don't mean because they're angry or they're scared or they feel like they Yeah, that's true. I just kind of view the whole society as a lot of people are talking bullshit because they're scared and angry. They're scared. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, sure. So it does. I, I think it does look like a lot less of a compassionate world right now, but I think <laughs> in reality, it's probably a lot more compassionate than it looks. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. Cause Good point. We're, we're focusing on the negative points, like the big loud negative points. And yeah. it does help when you got, news systems that are all inflammatory that take those yes. negative points that you're already looking at and scared about and then turn the amplifier up all the way and then they get mm -hmm. you addicted to it where you don't know how to come off of that stress you know mm -hmm. you get it's to a moment true. where like you have no stress and something feels wrong because you're so used to being wound up that you end up going and looking for stress you know and i think that's, that's a really that's a really fascinating point too, because, you know, I grew up in like a very um, tumultuous household, like a lot of fighting and stuff. And now that I'm in a marriage that's like calm and like loving, it feels really uncomfortable a lot of times. So that's a really good analogy to like what people must be experiencing right now. They're in activated mode. Like a, they're still in crisis, like emotional response mode. That's very true. I think maybe I need to be more compassionate for the people that aren't being compassionate but really they're just scared you're so right chris you're right 
we just need to add a little bit more of the SEL in their school, but mm-hmm. it's really true. I, I think, you know what, but to, to Emily's point, I think what um, will come of this after this experience is kind of like uh, Hunter lived in New York during 9-11 and he said, you know, and just even, you know, I lived in Baltimore, even just like the response in general of the society, it was like, it really brought us together closer um, because it was such, such an immensely terrifying experience. And, you know, the, the roaring twenties happened after the last pandemic. So it's like, maybe this is our renaissance. Maybe it's going to be really, really good. And we're going to, we're going to get back to, cause I don't know if you noticed around where you live, but we live in the burbs. It's like a town. It's not really the burbs. It's like a towny town town. So many people getting out into nature during this, which before it was like, never like, so many people like gravitated to being outside because they were stuck inside and it was almost like a shift happened where like we used to see people walking and they'd just be on their phones now it was like seeing families walking together like talking and like being outside and enjoying nature it was kind of exciting to see that it, it seems like having everybody be forced to stay inside and forced to have all this extra screen time yeah and- and to just binge watch TV shows and stuff. I think it's kind of like a technology overdose. And I I think, you know, even though as much as it sucked, I think it was probably a good thing because it got it out of the way faster and, um, yeah. And, and forced people to realize that, uh, they missed their family, you know, that they missed their parents. They don't get to see, because yeah. it's really easy when things are going really well to forget about that stuff. Yeah. And when you're really busy because so much is going on and you have all these places to go and things to do. But when it's a quiet time, you really start to realize what's really important. I think you're right. And I think Emily's right. I think there's a lot of hope for people coming out of this and being changed. I, I know I'm certainly changed for sure. I think. And the th- things. Yeah. There's, I think there's definitely really big change on the horizon because like, one of my big hobbies is, is, uh, studying history. And anytime something big happened, you had a huge Mm. movement of people. And anytime you had a huge movement of people, something big happened, you know, one of those things happens, the other is going to happen. And we have that going on right now. So I can't, I can't tell you if the change, because we have this, you know, massive energy, it's, it's going one way or the other. We don't know yet. I can't tell you if it's going to be good or bad. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think you can, I think there's a lot that people can do that even if it is a negative change that they can ride that wave somehow in a way that gets them, you know, safely home, you know, or safely through it. Yeah, Um, for sure. I guess that would be kind of like a, like a Tai Chi way of looking at stuff, Mm -hmm. um, where, you know something's coming at you. So you just got to not resist it and have it knock you over. You can just kind of attach to it, go with it and then jump off where you need to. Yeah. You have to live through it, not around it. You know, you have to go through the fire. You can't avoid it. It's there. And I think, and I think is important too. Like, yeah, stuff like I've, I've had to really learn how to like let go of plans and, uh, and to, roll with things you know doing music for a living and having all of my stuff canceled I had to figure out how to deal with that um and then having a lot of the places that I played at go out of business already so even when this is over I can't go back to them so I've had to really change plans and learn to not get too married to what it is that I wanted to do and remembered that I'm still human and in the world you know and that the world has its effects on me 
So I think the flexibility is the key to it. Yeah, that's very true. I wanted to touch on, um, you know, how as a musician, a professional musician, how this, the COVID shutdowns have impacted you and how you've kind of shifted your gears. Not that you're not a musician still, but you've gotten into other creative outlets, including the hat making and some clothing making um, and how that has worked out for you. And it seems like you're really in a good place. Uh, the hats are super cool and uh, seem to be feeding your creative spirit. Uh, thank you. Yeah. I, uh, well, with, it was a huge shift. You know, I, I uh, lost all the shows um, and didn't really try to start booking them again until it looked like the clouds had cleared. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's still, you know, I still don't think we'll be playing for maybe another six months or something like that. Yeah. So I had all that free time. And, you know, nowhere to go since everything was closed. And I thought, well, I want to learn how to sew because there's, I like the vintage clothing and all the stuff looked really costumey. And I'm like, well, I want to mm-hmm. make it the right way. And so I tried making it for myself and I ended up really liking it. So it's, it's nice. You know, I like having something that's artistic, that's different from music. Like music is more of a, it's a momentary thing, mm-hmm. but it's nice to have an artistic thing that I can physically create something that after I'm done creating it, like it is there. Whereas a song mm-hmm. is out in the ether somewhere, it's going. Right, right. Um, but to make something with my hands and I've always, always wanted to have something that I could do that with. And I find that like, it's a very different creative mindset, you know, like mm. I find that it's, interesting to cross from you know music into sewing or music into painting or woodworking or sculpture making or whatever because even though it's all all creative creatively minded it feels very different and it's nice Mm -hmm. to be able to be like oh I, i can do this i can do this you know that is super cool and i love the earrings your mom made out of the scraps too like i went to her I guess it was her Facebook page and she had shared this. I was like, those are so cool. Your mom's work is very, very cool. Um, so that's very, very neat. Uh, how, so how did you, you just like self-taught or did somebody show you how to start? I mean, I do a little sewing. I'm really not that great at following patterns, but um, you kind of. Know, I, there was a shirt that I wanted that I couldn't find. And then my mom and I made it together. Nice. So I, I did like the really easy, you know, straight stitching, the easy stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then I hadn't touched anything sewing related for a long time. And then, you know, six, six months ago or so I saw a pair of pants that I wanted. I'm like, those are really cool. I'm not paying $400 for them and then ordering them. So I uh, tried to make them. And then M actually showed me a lot of the sewing basics that I forgot how to do, nice. um, how to, how to thread the machine and, you know, just certain things. And then after that, it was, I just, tore stuff apart and made it again out of the, out of the stuff I tore apart. Oh, nice. Um, I'd sit there and like study something like a certain seam. I'd sit there and look at it and like, okay, well, how do they do this? So a lot of it was kind of learning in a vacuum. I found that I couldn't stand going on to YouTube to try to learn stuff. I can't follow a pattern for shit. (laughs) Well, the the patterns are okay. It's just a, a lot of the techniques, man, it was tough. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. When I saw at the top of the hat where all the straight stitches come together, all I kept thinking was like, I can't get my machine. And I know these are just like settings, but I do like the very basic. I'm like, I can't even get my machine to go over like a little bit of like faux fur. Uh, 
something that I love, uh, the bikes. So. Oh, uh, old motorcycle. When you talked, yeah, you mentioned, I think, it, I don't know if it was with Doug or a post when you got on the bike recently after watching the news and you just forgot all about it. I love being on a, on a motorcycle and I never learned how to ride myself, but just that feeling of um, so present. And it's the same with a bicycle and cycling, um, just being very present, but having speed, like you're flying or something, you know, like it, it gives you this like uh, superpower. So talk about, talk about how you got into motorcycles and, and you've um, restored some motorcycles. And um, I know you mentioned to Doug, you're working on a triumph, which I was like, ah, so great. Uh the motorcycle stuff was, like I said, that was all um, through my dad. He always had the old Triumphs. And then we would go over to our friend Beaver's house, and he'd have a garage and a, a lot of his other, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80-year-old friends who were all motorcycle enthusiasts would be there, and, you know, we'd be learning about that stuff. So I grew up around all the old bikes mm -hmm. and riding the old ones. They're, you know, they're – they're rickety and they leak oil all over the place and they're just yeah. not smooth, but I like that they're rough. You know, I like that they're a yeah. little rugged and they shake and they make your hands fall asleep. And I, I like it, you know, because I don't want to feel like I'm riding, I don't know, an electric, electric scooter. What is it called? Yeah. I was on the back of a, one of those Harleys that's like got the old lady seat and stuff like it's a real smooth ride. I was like, this is not really what I was looking for. It was the wrong person to be riding on the back of, but uh, what the heck, where is it called? It was like, it had the radio and all the, I worked at Harley Davidson in a couple different towns uh, for a little while, but uh, my heart was always with them. I really liked the old Hondas, but I love the Triumph so much. So. Yeah. I like the old stuff um, yeah. because it demands your presence. It demands you being there. Like uh, a lot of like these new Harleys or, or the touring bikes are just so cushy. Yes. And they got, you know, screens in them and speakers and heated heated gloves and stuff like that. And it's, it's too comfortable, you know. Yeah. It's, it's too easy to, like, mentally check out and forget that you got to be paying attention to the crazy people on the road. Sure. And I think part of the thing that I like about riding the old bikes is, or just bikes in general, is that, like, since it does demand your attention, you can't focus on other stuff. Like if you're yeah. thinking, okay, I got to use this clutch, but it's really hard to get to or hard to squeeze. So I got to go to the outside of the handle because this is a 50 year old bike and mm -hmm. pulling it that way. And, oh, I'm shifting on the right side of the bike because it's British and not left side of the bike because mm -hmm. it's American. So like you got to pay attention to all that stuff. And it brings you brings you back to like something more primal, I think, in the way that people had to be there. They had to be right mm -hmm. there in the moment. Present. Yes. What they're doing as opposed to at at work typing up a paper, but also working on a Facebook comment at the same yeah. time and listening to music and planning what you're having for dinner. Like right, sure. The modern life gives you too much stuff to think about at once. And so it's nice to have that stuff that demands all of you yeah it's like a sensory experience so you can't ignore it like mm -hmm. it's like you can't and and I like that about bicycles too and cycling um that's very present but you're also like so like even on a motorcycle or, or bicycle you're so a part of nature as well like I remember after one of the first times I was on one um like I don't know I worked at Harley Davidson so you know they had all the like these stupid like low uh you know um 
funny sayings and stuff on stickers and everything, but it was kind of like, you get why dogs put their heads out the window. And that really like spoke to me. Cause it's like, yes, it's like <laughs> that feeling of just like, it's kind of like flying or something. I don't know. It's like a supernatural experience. I loved it. Yeah. It was really fun. Yeah. But I didn't have to pay attention. I was on the back, which was kind of like lovely for me because I don't know. I tried stick shift in cars and it wasn't too good for me, but I would like to learn at some point. Mm. Um, that would be really, really fun. I'd like, love to get on a motorcycle again in my life. So yeah, it really look, for, it look, look forward to something. <laughs> it does feel like flying. I think that was a reason yes. why a lot of the fighter pilots in World War II came home and bought motorcycles. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it, like with That's the cool. stick shift thing, like I said, I, lo- I like things that are mechanical. I, I love driving yeah. just because you're doing stuff, you're thinking, you know, I don't like automated stuff, push button things because you can't, you can't really feel any of the moving parts to push button stuff. You know, you just got to yeah. trust that whatever crazy stuff goes on after you push the button, it's going to work. But yeah. you know, if you're riding an old bike and, and the throttle is actually controlled with cables and not like servos and electronic stuff like new bikes. You can feel, you can feel things, you know, mm-hmm. it'll have yeah. to be more involved with the world and like automated stuff and disconnecting you from real life is definitely not what we need as people. No technology does. It just makes you, makes everything easier for you. And uh, yeah. life, life just ain't easy and it's not something to run away from, you know, just, no, but it's nice on the other end of the ain't easy part, you know, mm-hmm. when you've accomplished yeah. that and resiliency, I think that's the biggest thing that I think is going to happen. You know, uh, resiliency is the ability to come through something that's like uh, very difficult and be able to like be successful or like learn from it and be better for it. So I think there's going to be a lot of resiliency. I just can't imagine it not being like this now, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's just, I can't wait. I just, I'm, I, I, don't like people, Chris. And I miss people so much. I miss gatherings and I miss people and I miss socializing. And that is so not like me. So it's, it's interesting how it, it teaches you about yourself when you go through experiences, like where something that you didn't think you loved is taken away, you know, like mm-hmm. the last folk fest we had, I bitched my face off about how frustrating it was, how like hot and, and like, I love the experience, but there were a lot of things as a vendor, you can like kind of get upset about. And I got caught up in that. And I missed it so much this year. So it just reframes everything for you. You know, it like takes mm-hmm. you and like, just like, you got to reframe. So I like, I'm, I'm certainly not thankful for all of the loss and, and the struggle, but I am thankful for the reminder of things that really do matter and that um, our, our planet matters. We got to take better care of it, you know? Yeah. 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 I, I think, I think we as a people are going to be learning a lot, a lot more than we anticipated. I don't, I don't know what it'll yes. be yet. Um, but yeah, like I hope it, I hope it, I hope people really take hold of the opportunity to learn some important stuff through this because it'd be really easy to, you know, make it through this and not focus on, um, the, the importance of the real life stuff Mm -hmm. that, that this, this whole pandemic thing illuminates for you, you know, to take, Oh, I missed my grandparents. Maybe next year when we can, I'll go Mm -hmm. and visit them more, you know, like reprioritizing for sure. Yeah. I mean, you got to check in, check in with yourself too, to, you know, practice, practice, um, 
what's what is it I'm trying to say? Mindfulness. Yeah, well, practice being honest with yourself to see like mm. what you need, or practice catching yourself when you're falling into um something that's not naturally you, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. People people could get through this thing and fall right back into their habits and not learn a damn thing from it. But the people that are are, you know, trying to be really honest with themselves and look for the things that uh was shown to them through this pandemic about themselves and about the situation and be like, okay, I'm going to change this. I think yeah, it's, for sure. there's a lot that can, can happen with that. So, and I think it has, I think it has been happening. I think it's been happening and it's really good to see the growth. Um, you know, I'm an overly mindful person. So I like drive myself crazy when mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh man, that was, su-. you know, I'm like an overthinker. So I'm like, Oh, that was super inauthentic. <laughs> I just like, Oh my God, leave myself oh, that, alone. That, I have that problem too. And that can get me <laughs> more than, than not being mindful. I find, you know, yeah, like, for sure. If you try to be overly mindful about everything you're doing, I find mm-hmm. that it makes it almost impossible to actually be real. You know, you're, you're kind yeah. of, you're in, you're in your own head. Yeah, you're anticipating your own actions before you naturally have them. Yeah. And it kind of ruins them, you know? Yeah. And that's why I like practices like what you were saying. Um, I guess it was to dive about going on the bike because it, it's a sensory experience. So it's it's a thing in anxiety, um, not anxiety, but it's an, a thing in, um, what do they call it? Uh, exposure therapy, my bad. Um, where, you know, um, it's called grounding. It's a grounding technique. So it's like this sensory experience that brings you back into yourself out of your mind, but into where you are in the present. And I've been doing that for a really long time, those kinds of things. And it's very, super helpful. Like, uh, it's very nice because yeah, like you said, a lot of time alone during this can start to move those wheels in a bad way, like over, over wheel and like a hamster on a wheel, you know? But yeah, I think there's a good balance. And I think mindfulness is all about that balance and just making sure you keep that balance in check. But it's a daily, daily exercise that you have to keep up on. So um, to finish up, I just wanted to ask you what upcoming projects do you have? Um, well, it, I mean, it's tough to really plan projects right now because... Or like I, things like goals, things that you've thought of during this time that you'd like to see happen in the next... I know you guys were supposed to go to Germany, Doug told me. Yeah, it, I don't, I don't know if or when that's going to happen. Um, yeah, and it's really pretty hard to try to book shows right now because you know if I call people and try to book a show for next month, it could still get canceled. Um, so I've kind of been hanging loose and working more on on the sewing stuff, um, making the the vintage vintage hats and and jackets and things for folks. So that's that's where my focus is right now until it looks like we can get back to playing music and I can get back out there. Um, yeah, I think that's mostly it. I'm not terribly exciting these days. <laughs> we'll have to do this again. You're no, that was terribly exciting. I don't know where you went. Um, um, there's like some kind of issue with a light. <laughs> Parenthood, keeping me in the present all day long, right? Oh my gosh, was, nothing that demands your attention in the moment, like having a I am kid. So, listen, I am so thankful for them. They got me through this, I'm not going to lie. But um, it's interesting, and I don't know if I'm going to add this, but uh, you know, that's how I ended up with Hunter, because the people my age were so, so like obsessed with themselves, and the ego was so big. And I guess I thought of, when you had talked to me about that, I really thought about that a lot, about how I ended up with him because of that reason, because he's so like 
old school and old fashioned, you know, and I love that about him. So mm. I'm really happy for you guys and keep up the great work and stay safe. And I can't wait to see you guys again. And I can't wait to see your new band. So yeah. um, love to get them. Out. I'll link all that stuff. Um, can you just real quick uh, give us the name? It's uh, the Hex Highway Blues Band. Okay, cool. So on Facebook, you just look up Chris LaRose and the Hex Highway Blues Band. Okay, awesome. Cool. Well, I thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining me. And you guys take care and uh, keep up the good work. And I'll see you soon, hopefully at the Folk Fest. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, it'll be fun. I can't wait to get out there and, and start seeing people in person again. Oh, man. I know. I hear you. I never thought I'd say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what would my 19-year-old self think of me now? <laughs> well you take care i can't wait to meet emily too please say oh, hello to her and uh, gonna like each other I yeah think. for sure i feel like she's a kindred spirit so i think you two will disappear off into an art studio or something for oh nice hours. that's perfect i'll have to come oh, back that's wonderful what's her sign oh she's a scorpio oh i'm an aquarius i love scorpios oh yeah, that's awesome. yeah I, I didn't know much about that stuff and uh, apparently scorpios and gemini's are not supposed to get along but we really do so you take care and you look nice all illuminated with the lights. Well, that, yeah, that was Em's doing too. So It looks really good. It's very joyful. Cool. Oh, all right. Take care, Chris. Have a good night. Take care. You too. See you later. Bye. Bye.